abolish the federal and state financial incentives that have turned child protective services into a business that separates families for money i have witnessed such injustice and harm brought to so many families that i am not sure if reform of the system is even possible the system cannot be trusted it does not serve the people it obliterates families and children simply because it has the power to do so abolish the federal and state financial incentives that have turned child protective services into a business that separates families for money i have witnessed such injustice and harm brought to so many families that i am not sure if reform of the system is even possible the system cannot be trusted it does not serve the people it obliterates families and children simply because it has the power to do so good evening and welcome to rescue the fosters i am gino your host and as always my two co-hosts and co-founders of rescue the fosters miss sylvia beachy and miss daniel holm ladies how are you tonight good good how are you doing good oh that was in sync that was cute yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man looking forward to tonight's show this is a um new angle we're taking here in rescue the fosters we've done i don't know how many shows now but We've never had it from the foster side, foster parent side. So this is going to be an interesting angle to look at and um, very interested in hearing Jennifer's story. Ladies, one of you, can you please introduce our guest tonight? Okay, I will. Um, so <laughs> I've, I've been talking to Jennifer the last few weeks. Um, I actually received an email and I believe it was from the Hernandez family sister. Is that right, Jennifer? My um, oh, it was from your sister. Okay. So... Yeah. And it was concerning um, a case in Georgia, the Hernandez family, and this one has actually been on Twitter a lot. If anybody's been on Twitter and the um, just in public, uh, but she was the foster parent that hosted that family. And when she reached out, she was just telling me how her experience, and I was so thankful that that they did reach out to us and they did try to find us because we need people like her and we need to hear from the foster parents because we don't we don't say that everybody in the foster system is bad I don't believe that I had some really good foster parents in the system and a lot of good foster parents that I only trusted to put kids with and I would constantly call them and make sure that I put kids in their home so Jennifer thank you and thank you for speaking up and we can't wait to hear your experience yeah, sure. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Sorry, I'm trying to get the sound right still. It's something that keeps cutting out on my end. So I'm checking with the uh, audience and making sure that it worked good out there. Can you guys hear us? Please give me a five by five if we're good. Um, so Jennifer, yes, we are very interested in hearing your, your uh, take on this position you're in. I know you're Christian parents meaning well for your children. But um, let's just start at the beginning, how it all started. I know pre-show you were talking about even in your own biological family and then also having a biological family with a, um, some foster uh, kids also in your family. So let's start there and then we'll move forward. Yeah, sure. So um, my husband, Jonathan, and I have been married for almost 16 years. Um, when I was growing up, I had an older sister. That's who reached out to Miss Sylvia actually. And when um, I was like seven, my parents started doing foster care and we ended up adopting my four brothers. 
Um, it was a really great experience for me. I really don't have a lot of memories of anything negative. I loved becoming a big sister. It was really special. And I had decided I wanted to do this. I want to do foster care. I want to adopt when I'm older. So I had made those decisions when I started dating Jonathan, made sure he was on board for that. Um, also made sure he was on board for homeschooling our kids. Those were just things I really wanted to do. And uh, we started our foster care classes when our biological daughter was four months old. And we did um, the impact classes here in Georgia through DFACS. Uh, you can do like a four week program, six week program. We did that. And I think within seven to eight months, our home was approved. We had decided we only wanted to adopt. Initially, we were not ready to do actual foster care. So in that since we were only open to children whose parental rights had already been removed. And we were placed with a little girl, 15 months younger than our oldest daughter. And um, it was awesome. Uh, a few months later, found out we were pregnant. We had a little boy. And, uh, and as time went on, we were getting closer to feel like we were ready to do foster care. And we ended up hosting two Ukrainian orphans um, from the country of Ukraine. And we felt at that time that we were called to adopt them. They were 11 and 13. And God worked it out where we were able to go to the country of Ukraine. Um, they were removed from their orphanage and placed into a foster home. So that ended our international adoption. We have a good relationship with them even now, eight years later. Um, but we knew when we came home, it was time to like start foster care here. So we did, we opened our home up and it was Gino, kind of what you said. A lot of it was just the call. I feel like all Christians are called to do something, you know, it's in the Bible, help the fatherless, help the widows. It was something we wanted to do. And we had just great experiences with it as far as what kids um, we even took in older kids, which was kind of fearful for me just because I had younger children, but it felt like that's what God wanted us to do. Um, we met some awesome kids along these years, um, 13 years off and on is how long we did foster care. We ended up getting uh, two teenage girls that we later adopted um, at almost 18 and 16, and they are just amazing match for our family. Um, my oldest just left actually, they're both married now. Um, wonderful, amazing experience. We decided we would continue doing foster care after the both girls got married. Uh, we wanted to do respite. So we wanted to do more short term. So that's if a foster family is, you know, leaving the state or traveling, can't take the kids. And this summer we were placed with two little girls, three-year-old and a four-month-old. And um, we weren't given very much information about the girls, as Sylvia, I'm sure, can attest to. Sometimes you can get a lot of information. Sometimes they withhold information. Um, the person in our county who, who did kind of, I hate to call it matching, but who would call us with kids um, was very honest and very amazing. She would tell me what she knew. And in this case, she was honest and said, I really don't know anything. They're from another county. They were three and four months old. So we said, yes, um, it was just going to be for five day, uh, five nights. And the girls were wonderful, beautiful little girls. Um, the three-year-old was happy. She was respectful. She ate 
vegetables. She was fully potty trained. Um, it was weird to be honest. They, she wasn't like a foster child to me. Um, she just really stood out because a lot of three-year-olds are not potty trained at, you know, when they're in foster care. Um, the four month old was absolutely beautiful. I just started noticing a few things about her that seemed off to me. The way that she held her little body, her joints, um, the shape of her skull when I gave her a bath, it was sloped. It was like sunk in and sloped. And you couldn't tell until you did the bath and her hair was wet. Um, my husband, Jonathan, noticed the whites of her eyes looked more blue or gray. So we were looking at all these things and I hated to do this to this baby. She's so beautiful, but I'm noticing all these things. And so I reached out to the foster mom and said, hey, everyone's great, but I do have these concerns. Um, Emma, I labeled those things out. She was also constipated while she was here. And the foster mom told me, everything you're seeing is abuse. Didn't anyone tell you that the girls are in foster care because they were physically abused? Emma had a broken leg just before you know, just a couple weeks ago. And I was like, no, nobody told me this infant had broken anything. Like I've been changing her diaper. I've been passing her around to my kids. Like I wish somebody would have said something. So I could have thought in my head, you know, let's be extra cautious with this baby. I really didn't think much else of it. I thought, well, you know, that's just defects for you. <laughs> so when the girls left, I decided to write the caseworker an email of how the girls were while they were here. And I told her the same things, the things that I noticed. Well, she emailed me back almost immediately and said, oh, you know, I'm sorry no one told you. I should have, you know, thank you for your insight. We're actually looking into medical evaluations for Emma. And I thought, well, why are you looking into medical evaluations if Emma was abused? So it really threw me off. And I kind of got nosy about that time and said, you know, I'm going to look up these people. I'm going to look up the parents, which I would normally do if they were staying in my house long term. I like to do that anyway, to see who's in my house. I looked and almost immediately, I didn't have the names of the parents, just the girls and their last name. But almost immediately, I came across like a cry for help for their baby. And it was the mother, Taki, talking about Emma's sick, my baby's sick. We took her to the doctor. And instead of someone helping us, they've taken our kids. And I think my stomach, like, I don't know what happened. Like something inside of me was just like, felt gross and felt empty. And I felt super nervous and uncomfortable <laughs> because I believed it immediately. Now I know what people think anyone whose child is in foster care, they're all going to say they're innocent. I mean, I understand that, but I'm reading this and I'm going back and I'm reading every one of her posts and I'm seeing that they're not saying we're in. Whoops. Now that time you did cut out. Okay. Is it good now? We have a little storm here, so that could be. Yeah. Uh, yeah you're just froze for a couple seconds. Yeah. You you're be good. good now. Now. Okay. Um, so they weren't saying anything negative. They weren't, um, saying, you know, they weren't saying anything negative. They were saying we need help. Somebody help us. And so I started thinking, well, why are the parents asking for help if 
DFAX is doing a medical evaluations on this baby. Like it just really wasn't adding up for me. So naturally I had talked to Jonathan. I'm like, what do I do? So we're reading it together. We both come to the same conclusion. Let's call the mom. She put her phone number on there and said, if anyone knows of any way to help me, I can't talk to my husband. I've been arrested. She was out of jail at that time, but had a bond condition where she couldn't speak to her husband, couldn't speak to her sister, couldn't speak to her brother-in-law. All these weird things that I'm like, I don't like, none of it makes any sense. Being a foster parent, I know that there's certain policies. I know that there's certain things. Why are these girls not with family? Because I'm looking at family commenting on here. I'm looking at family that's willing to take the girls. And my head is like, why are they not with family? Like, what is going on? Why are they in help? If there's any way that my husband and I can help. She told me about an upcoming hearing. Um, it was going to be a three-day trial. And I said, I'll come and I'll support you. And during that time, Jonathan and I were there for all three days. Um, I was a witness. So I missed the first maybe three hours, two hours, I think I had to be sequestered. Um, but outside of that, I didn't miss anything. Jonathan was in there the whole time. And I, I only stood on the stand for a minute, just what I saw in Emma, some of the things that I had seen, you know, with my own eyes. Um, and I started noticing Defax was being so hateful in this room, like hateful. The attorney was being so mean, even to me up on the stand. And I'm like, why are you yelling at me? Like, why are you angry when I was asked to be here? I know she has a job to do. I understand how that works, but I'm, I'm, I'm not understanding why everyone's so rude to this family when we don't know anything. And sitting there through these three days, I learned there's zero evidence of this family hurting their baby. There is absolutely nothing at all that, this, that the uh, prosecution has about this family. In fact, the child abuse pediatrician who was there, he didn't even bring a piece of document. He didn't bring x-rays. He didn't bring anything. <laughs> he just said, this is what happened. And the kind of fractures she had, it can only be abuse. And when questioned about different tests that they ran on her, he's like, well, that came back negative. Yet he didn't bring any documents with him. Wow. And then they had a forensic pathologist on the sand. They had a um, geneticist on the sand. Both were saying we need more testing on Emma, but everything I see and everything I see looks like rickets. It looks like a metabolic bone disease. There's something going on with Emma to cause her bones to be brittle and cause the fractures. And they started naming the things that could happen with a baby that has a metabolic bone disease. And a lot of those things Emma has, constipation, a hard time you know, keeping things down, di digestive issues, um, blue on the eyes, on the white instead of her eyes being white. So just all these little things that at the end of the three-day trial, somehow this family still lost. And the court found them dependent on the state. And I was completely shocked because I sat in the same room and I heard like five or six character witnesses for this mother. And at that time, only the mother had been arrested. 
So she had not seen her children since June. This was October. She had not talked to her husband since June. The girls were originally placed with an aunt and an uncle for about five weeks. And one day Emma had bruise, uh, bruise like rashes show up on her leg. They called the caseworker. Caseworkers like take her to Choa. So they take her back to the accusing hospital and they say, looks like you guys either abused this baby or brought the mom in so she could abuse the baby. I mean, that sounds insane to me. <laughs> I know there's bad people in the world, but that just sounds nuts to me. Like you have like a whole family of abusers and they don't hurt the three-year-old. They only abuse the baby because the three-year-old is completely healthy and happy with no issues. They did a skeletal survey on her. It came back fine. So nothing that happened those three days made any sense at all to me. And that was about the time when it was over, we had left and I was just, it was one of the saddest days of my life, to be honest. And I'm going to try not to get emotional because I haven't really got to talk about this part very much when I'm on a podcast or talking about it. But it was so much evil in this room and people attacking this family. I said, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I do not want these people in my home. I don't want my children subjected to this. I want to be done. And we verbally put in a request to close our home with our county. And about a week later, my kids cried. They were so sad. They didn't want to stop being able to do our ministry that a week later, I decided to call an administrator and I explained the whole situation to this administrator from me testifying, my thoughts, my opinions, what I saw at court. And she said, you know, Forsyth County beats to their own drum. You guys will be fine. There's not an official blacklist. Just keep doing respite. Keep letting kids come in from your county. You'll be fine. I was like, okay, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. We hung up the phone. Two days later, I got an email saying, your house has been closed. Thanks for your service. Take the exit survey on your way out. And I was like, what, what happened? So I decided to email instead of call. And I had used the terms medical kidnapping to this administrator. And instead of her telling me on the phone that she was uncomfortable or what I said in her opinion was wrong, she waited two days and said, you, I didn't like those words you use. Defects has never medically kidnapped kids and you don't see, you don't have the same goals as us anymore. So you're out. Hmm. Did, did they, Jennifer, did they state what the goals are? I would love to see that list. <laughs> um, okay. Through all of their workbooks, their goals are reunification and supporting a family. Oh, I mean, if you want to look at handbooks, that's all that it is, which was the most confusing part because I've had kids in our home that were abused, that did suffer neglect, drug abuse from the parents. Even those parents got visits with their kids, even if their kids didn't want to see them. We had kids that were forced to see their parents for visits. And here you have this family, this mom can't have visits with her breastfeeding baby, mind you that is taken from her. And she pumped milk for months, even while she was in jail for three days. And DFACS never gave the milk to the baby. 
they left it at the defects building. So when you hear all these things, I'm, I'm like super confused. And the father's having visits and it took seven months of him having visits. And when we went to the mom's bond hearing to try and drop these horrible bond conditions, the state announced that, uh, your honor, there's really not much sense in you uh, letting these two get together because we're indicting them both by a grand jury next week. And that's exactly what happened. So they still have a no contact order. And, and defects, we've had meetings. We've tried to, we don't want to reopen our home. I want to make that clear. We do not wish to open our home. But I think it's really unfair that our home got closed against our will. And even on the goodbye letter, it says uh, the, the reason we're leaving is uh, family personal reasons. And I'm like, well, that's not true. So you should actually change that because that's not, it's not the truth. Um, we tried having meetings because in the beginning I thought, okay, we're just going to go to the higher ups, right? We're going to get politicians. We're going to get uh, directors, county directors, regional directors. Yeah, they don't really have a lot of oversight and directors don't really care. Mm -mm. Not the ones we met with. I mean- they had, they listened to us, but they did not have care or concern. They all tell you, well, we can't really talk about the case with you. We're not allowed to do that. And I just sat there like, I've been to the court hearings. Um, I don't need any information about the case. I know more about it than you do. You're reading it on paper. I'm living it. I'm talking to these people every day. So I don't need any information. And then they'll tell you, the, the, it's out of our hands, it's in the court system. And when you talk to politicians, the politicians are like, oh, you know, it's, it's out of our hands. There's nothing we can do. Everybody says it's out of our hands. Even the defects director was like, you know, once a child abuse pediatrician gets involved, there's nothing we can do. I'm like, really, there's nothing you can do. Even if you find out the family that you started pointing fingers at for abuse, there's nothing you can do to say, oops. Sorry to interrupt, Jennifer, but this just, I, every time I hear this thing about the pediatrician, it drives me up a wall. Because yeah. what, are they are they immune to this? Like, they, do they have immunity? They can't be subpoenaed. They can't show the records. Like, this is ridiculous. In every other phase of life, if you go to court criminally, whatever, you have to somehow present evidence, either for or against. And yet, for some reason, Every time it comes to the family court, we see the same patterns. Mm -hmm. It's it's lies top to bottom. You just stated they even lied about what you said about not, you know, you, you said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll continue. And then they say, oh, two days later, no, we're shutting your doors. And then they yeah. lie about the reasoning. So they lied top to bottom. Mm -hmm. Then you go to court and you're expected, okay, well, at least the evidence will prove out here. No, the evidence isn't allowed in court. No. And oh, and by the way, there's no oversight in court either. And you're lucky to even be able to court watch now. I mean, it's probably 50-50, uh, yeah. I would say. And, and Sylvia, as an advocate, wasn't even allowed in the courtroom mm -hmm. <laughs> in a case. Like, it's just ridiculous. And well, people don't the, know um, this. Go ahead, Daniel. Sorry. <laughs> the uh, pediatricians have um, incentives financially, and I'm digging into things more in Georgia and Alabama where my case was, but... I do have this sheet in front of me from Phoenix Children's Hospital um, where every child pediatrician at the hospital 
that does an examination and deems a child to have been abused or in any way or neglected, if they refer the child to a CPS, this is in Arizona, but it's everywhere, but this is like, I have facts in front of me. Every single pediatrician in that hospital gets $865 per case referred to Child Protective Services. Um, and then when they do x-rays for child abuse, they get $350 per body part x-rayed. Um, $780 per case referred um, for CT scans. So it's broken down. So they get actual financial incentives. And when it has to do with child abuse and they refer to CPS, they get paid. Then if they're called into the courtroom, they get paid again for being uh, for making an appearance in the courtroom. I know in my situation, the psychologist that came in who I had never met in my life she was paid $1,000 just to go up on the stand and paint a picture of us when she had never met us. So every single person is paid, including these child abuse pediatricians. Yeah, and that information, however you got that for Arizona, we need to try and get that. It's been very yeah. It's We're trying to find contracts, what the state has with the CAPs. Yeah. And it's really hard. They have it buried really deep. But yes. Jennifer, yeah, we can, you know what, you should definitely, we should definitely uh, work on that because I, I probably do have some information on some of, some of it just from working in the Georgia system. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, we should definitely because this and, and Danielle is really good with finding, uh, finding information because legally they have to put it out there somewhere, right? So it's somewhere right. on the internet, we just have to find it. And Danielle is really good with that. And I probably, I might have some information. Uh, just email me exactly what you're looking for. Okay. Yeah. Because that's something we've been trying to do. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen, but we kind of started advocating with you are the power. Um, it's been extremely great. Um, it's been super wonderful. They are a group of awesome people and we were so alone. It felt like before trying to figure out how to help this family in the beginning in my mind, okay, if they're innocent, what Gino said earlier, it's going to show in court. And then once we got to court, I'm like, how did it not, how did they ignore these professional doctors? How is this judge listening to a CAP who didn't even bring anything in? And why aren't they letting this family get this baby medical testing? It was like one question after another that just spiraled out of control to like something really creepy and shady is going on here. And then they decided in October, um, they were going to TPR. They were already talking about terminating parental rights that soon that that's when I really knew this is a problem. And I'm a little scared for this family. Um, and politicians weren't listening. So working with you or the power has been wonderful because they're just a group of awesome people who advocate for government tyranny and, and they've been really great, but that's one thing we're struggling with is finding the actual contracts with the CAPs because I know they get paid, but I would like to have the information like what Danielle just read. I would love to have that in front of me to say, this is what happened because there's only 400 CAPs nationwide. It shouldn't be that hard right. to get all that information. Right. You know? We need to find the money trails. That's what we have. To, we have to do that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you're right. That's just 
staggering to hear all this again. I mean, we hear it every week, but it's like there's always like another twist to the story. And this is the part that literally drives me up the wall. I was doing a show called Let Our Children Go with Mark and Terry uh, Stammen. And we had a lot of medical kidnapping cases come on there. And the the majority of them were not allowed to see x-rays in the courtroom. Yes. Like yes. that was, that was the, and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, like an x-ray that would confirm or deny what's going on here is not allowed in the courtroom. And so what, what conclusion must we draw if they're not allowing evidence in the courtroom, such as an x-ray, we have to assume they're up to something no good. That yeah. has to be the assumption. Well, Gina, there's two families. Neither one of these have gone public yet because their lawyers have suggested they don't. But there are two families that I talk to pretty much every week. They haven't even seen the x-rays of their child, the alleged fractures. And they went to jail for these fractures that they've not even seen. That is a huge problem. How do you not see the x-rays to your baby and you are put in jail or kicked out of a hospital i don't understand how people aren't outraged by that all of these parents that i know from parents behind the pinwheels every single medical kidnapping story i have heard parents have willingly brought their child to the doctor there has not been one that has been reported by a neighbor reported by school and it's interesting because they're all toddlers and babies who can't speak mm -hmm. They're all babies. They cannot speak for themselves. And there, there's no, that should bother people. It should really bother people that these are parents who said, oh, there's a problem with our baby. For the Hernandez family, swollen leg. They noticed their daughter's leg looked swollen. No bruises. She wasn't crying. They said, oh, well, Aria, our older, has an appointment tomorrow. Let's call and see if we can bring Emma in. Okay, yeah, let's do that. They do that. And that pediatrician says, you need to take her to Choa. You need to take her to get x-rays. So the parents do it. And then they're literally in trouble because they're seeking help. And they're asking, can you do like blood work? Find out what's wrong with our baby. Do a full body x-ray. And then that gets you into trouble. What are we supposed to do when we think something's wrong with one of our kids? Yeah. Right. That's, it's terrifying. That's scary. You don't think that answering questions are going to get you into trouble when you're seeking help for your baby. Because right. now I'm like, oh, well, you just don't answer. Who has a lawyer in their back pocket? Not most people. And you're not going to go to the hospital while you're scared for your baby and say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, doctor. I can't answer you any questions because I know this might get me into trouble. But that's where we're at. We can't even tell doctors, specifically safety teams, and child abuse pediatricians, you shouldn't answer questions because they literally use everything you say to incriminate you. Mm -hmm. Well, sadly, even if you did have a lawyer in your back pocket, he probably wouldn't do anything anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's just where we're at you with know, that too. Yeah, that's true, actually. You know, uh, Jennifer, we actually were in contact with a man named uh, Larry Bass, and his uh, son and, and daughter-in-law are dealing with almost the exact same situation. Yeah. They yeah. stole his, his baby... I think it was three months old um, w because it was breaking bones. And then there was some other, I think things with the skull, if I remember the story correctly, I might be conflating two stories, um, but it's similar things. It's the x-rays would have proved it. They've had experts come in now, actually an expert from Michigan had to, you know, fly in and, and give testimony or whatever. And it's like, this should, this should vindicate these poor parents who have been abused by the system instantly 
But see, the problem is no one knows this is going on because it's behind mm -hmm. closed doors and it's all shut in the darkness. So no one knows about it. Yes. And if this was out, if, if any one of the major news networks did a story on this and continue to investigate this, this would probably end because there yeah. are people still watching the fake news. But if the fake news actually told the truth and did their job and reported what's going on, it, this would end. But see, they, yeah. nobody wants it to end because it's too much money. Billions yes. and billions of dollars are pouring into each state because of this system. And they're all the in on it. Money. You know, not just yes. the doctors. Sylvia right. can attest to that. Like, just the foster care money, that the funding that gets kicked in when a child goes into foster care. I mean, that right there, and it follows them along. And the longer they drag it out, the more funding that they get. And then when they do an adoption, the more funding they get. And meanwhile, they're destroying a family. They're like, they make it so this family has a hard time keeping a job because sometimes they're put in jail. I mean, they're having financial problems because they're having to, court appointed attorneys are worth nothing. So they're having to hire really expensive attorneys. It's so much money, so much money. And today I got to hear, they were talking about um, for the mom and the dad uh, for Matt and Tucky Hernandez that, uh, they needed to pay, be sure to pay out of pocket for any and all testing that needed to be done for the baby. And in my mind, I'm like, how dare you tell these people? Like you ripped them from their possession. You took their babies who a year ago, no one even knew this family existed, but them. And you've gone in and you've taken them, taken their insurance from them because now they're in foster care. And then you have the nerve to say, any testing that needs to be done, you're paying out of pocket. It's just like a joke. Yeah, it's insult. It's They're adding insult to injury. That's what they do. And and it's. I think this is purposeful. I, I really believe that this mm -hmm. is to uh, degrade them even more and diminish them as human beings so that they won't fight, that they give up. And, and yes. then they've got you. Then they can just do whatever they want with you and make a whole bunch more money mm -hmm. off of you. Because what more can you do to a person than take their children? What more can you do than take their whole, any parent, any good parent? We all know there's inappropriate parents. There's abusive parents. I, I, I acknowledge that. Any good parent, you take their babies, you've taken their world. And never mind just their kids. For the Hernandez family, they have it so they can't even speak. They can't even talk to each other. Like, how are you supposed to make a plan for your future? How are you supposed to pick lawyers when you can't even communicate with your own spouse that you've been married to for 12 years? It's disgusting. They, 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 they've destroyed yeah. them. And you said it earlier, Gino, not allowing, they have all these privacy rules for family court. You know, they don't want to hurt the, well, the, well, the looks of the minors. Come it's, on. Oh, like, it's for the safety of the children, Jennifer, yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay. What a mess. People. And if you shed light on darkness, I feel like it's less likely they can't keep doing it That's if right. you shed light. So talking about this, I'm sure people who have already heard me talk about this are like, oh my gosh, this girl says the same thing over and over again. But we need to talk about it because if, you, if you're going to be quiet like some lawyers want you to do, you're, no one's going to hear about it mm -hmm. at all. If you talk about it and shed light on it, people know. Um, at the hearing Friday that I was in, I was a witness on that hearing for the Hernandez family and the media was brought up 
that was brought up about it, have you done interviews with the media? Have you prov uh, provided material and information for such and such, you know, for Spike Cohen, um, for Parents Behind the Pinwheels? So they know. And DFAX was not happy that they've received over 500 emails, one caseworker in particular. She's very annoyed and very uh, irritated. Oh, oh, she's had hundreds of emails from other countries, and it's just really getting on her nerves. <laughs> I mean, you, you know what's good? I you know what's that. getting on my nerves? I don't know what her name is, but Miss Smith, we'll just call you that for tonight. You know what's getting on my nerves? You taking people's kids away. That's what's on my nerves. Let's talk it's about hilarious. it. It's hilarious, Gino, because that's her last name. So that, Oh, my gosh. Oh, my <laughs> no gosh. Way. Guys, that was no. one of the names of my kidnappers. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Leslie come on. Smith. Let's. Is that their uh, real last name? I mean, come is on. It? Like, I don't know, but I can't I would, help but laugh about it. That's well, funny. That's funny. Agent Smith. It's funny, but I will say I'm thankful now. I don't know what really changed. I can speculate as we all can, but last week T uh, DFAX was pushing for TPR to destroy this family in the ultimate way. And thankfully that got denied and they now have a reunification plan, Wow, which is amazing because I was really getting scared that that wasn't going to happen. Um, I don't know if this is God's hand personally on this judge, media pressure. I don't know. I would I would tend to think, media. Jennifer, it's Thank it's God. the pressure. If you said over 500 emails came their way, they know eyes are on it right now. Because yeah. I'll tell you what, I, I have a funny feeling if those people weren't emailing and it wasn't getting some attention, it's just another case that gets mm -hmm. lost and no one knows about it. So thank God, you know, you're, you've been vocal about it and the others have gotten behind these, these poor parents. Yeah, and, Megan uh, Fox and Spike Cohen, they've okay. put the list of emails. Um, mm -hmm. So it wasn't me personally, 500 sure. emails, but I think people from other countries have even emailed wow. because while they're not a Georgia resident, they can resonate with this. Everyone has a child in their life yeah. that they love and that they care about. You don't have to be in the state of Georgia to be bothered by this. Get on right. parents behind the pinwheels, and you're going to see families from all states. Oh yeah, it's all it's across the U.S. Well, Jennifer, also I just want to say this show right here. I've been kind of holding it together, but out of all the shows I've done with Gino and Sylvia, this has like really been choking me up the whole time because I haven't actually been able to talk to any foster parents that see the parents. Cause I have my own personal situation when you were talking about how she couldn't even breastfeed her baby. That was me literally seven years ago. And to this day, I don't even know where my child is. So I am sitting here in so much gratitude for you that it's literally choking me up. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, I, need gratitude. <laughs> I just feel like people need to do the right thing. Like, how do you see something Yeah, and ignore it? Like, how do I look at that and be like, well, I'm sure DFACS can handle this. I'm just going to go about my perfect life with my happy children and not worry about it. There's no way I could do that. Whether it's because yeah. I'm a Christian <laughs> and God was placing it on my heart, but you have to stand up. These could have, this could be my kids. And when I sit there and think about that, it absolutely I can't sit there and think about that. I did it in the beginning and it destroyed me. It turned me into a different person. I was becoming void inside, just imagining it being my kids. 
So I said, you can't do that anymore. You have to focus and you have to just help this family while you can and do what you can and hope that other people will jump on board to start helping because it's out of control right now, just in mm -hmm. Georgia alone. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, we did have a reporter sit down with us and we did for an Atlanta news station. She has 17 families she's working with. Oh, you, you, I would love to connect with her because we've been yeah. looking for our reporters and actually it's been, it's been God moving with the reporters because yes. they have been contacting me. Uh, and we had, you know, Danielle and I spoke to somebody the other day, but they, when I first came out as a caseworker and I was talking about this, I was contacting the news stations and I was contacting journalists and I was saying, hey, do you know this is happening? And nobody would talk to me and everybody would say, well, we don't mess with uh, CPS because they come after us. And, and what I realized was that people didn't know how the system worked. They didn't know that the majority of these organizations is nonprofits. So then when I, I started researching and I started figuring it out, I was like, who's coming after you? Like, who who is coming after you? Is it the government? Is it the actual government coming after you? Or is it nonprofits? I don't think it's nonprofits. So how are they coming after these uh, journalists and investigators? Because that's, that's what they were telling me. Now, it's been since 2019 since I started contacting them, and they're just now starting to call me up. So it does show that there is, you know, a change in this, and yeah. and maybe they are starting to understand how the system works. So um, that that's amazing that you have somebody that's willing yes, to report. I'll be happy to email you about that. She'd probably yeah. to talk with you, honestly. You know, it's sad that so many people are afraid, but... I understand where they're coming from because that was where we were at in October after being in that room of just complete evil surrounding me, just evil from defects and from the prosecution. I understand that because they sit there with so much power and no evidence on this family, yet here we are and their kids are removed. Why and how when you have these doctors saying, uh, this is what happened with baby Emma, but we need more testing to confirm. Why wouldn't you just let these families get more testing? Well, right. it's obvious. They don't want the truth to come out. I mean, hello, it's pretty obvious. Once you hear enough of these stories, you realize they're doing this on purpose. They mm -hmm. want to take these children. Mm -hmm. And thank you for mentioning court because it is so hard to explain uh, the environment when you're in there. It's, it's like really heavy. Um, and I, I don't know, it's really heavy and dark, but it's really difficult for people to understand if you've never been in the, in the, the family court system at all. It okay. is a whole new level of trauma. So on top of the trauma that they do to parents removing the, or kidnapping their children, then you're forced into a court system and people like me and other parents that have never been in trouble in their life, they're just thrown into this with us in that environment have no idea what's going on have no idea what they can can even do to change the problem i mean every single day that i had to walk into that courtroom i was throwing up and not to, to tmi but i was very sick every day i walked into that courtroom i i i had to go to the bathroom every single time and it was severe trauma i couldn't sleep the whole entire year and a half i was dealing with them it's awful. And then I'm sure it's awful for every other good person, caseworker and everything too. So 
it's evil. Yeah, it's you're oh, right. Yeah. It's like a heaviness that it's hard mm-hmm. to explain, especially that three days. I think I came home on that Friday and we had brought our three young kids with us because we had hoped it would be a great um hearing and it was not. So instead our three children were crying in the car and we came home and I just like went to bed. It was like six o'clock, six thirty. I went to bed and I didn't get out. And like the next morning I was just like broken. Like how, how can you see that? And even though it wasn't affecting me personally, I was like, how are we supposed to live like this? Like, how are we supposed to just let this happen and then just plan my fun weekend? I didn't know how to do that, how to not, how to like separate myself from that. And I'm glad I didn't because you can't do that when it's innocent families and innocent children. You have to stand up and do the right thing. You have to. Yeah, it's I kind of equate it to like a survivor's guilt type thing. You know, I haven't been affected by it, thank God, either. But it's once I knew about it, I couldn't lay my head down on a pillow and just have a good night's sleep and say, okay, well, the world's fine. I mean, especially as believers, we know we're called to do his work. So for me, it's become part of the ministry, part of what he's called me to do. And nothing's going to stop it. I mean, like he's he's enabling all of us with our gifts and our talents and even our situations like Danielle's horrific situation and, and, you know, what you've had to deal with just going to court and watching this drama play out before you. And it, it, and it's, it's just all, I don't know another word, Jennifer. I mean, you've said evil. That is exactly what this is. I mean, you know, if you want to go old school, old Testament, <laughs> let's look at Molech and Baal. And that's what they were doing. Sacrificing children trafficking children doing it's this this is not new this has been going on for millennia and it's got to come to an end i mean i feel like this is the time i feel like god has called this to be exposed at this moment in history and i do see a a very good ending i do see lots of reunifications coming in the future i see the end of this evil corrupt system and the money stopped uh a lot of arrests and there's probably going to be a lot of people put to death I'm just going to say that that's, I, I know all this stuff's coming. So, you know, we just keep doing what we're supposed to do. We, we do it legally. We do it peacefully and we just use our voice, the voice that God's given us to use. And, and we're going to win this battle at the end of the day because it's his battle to win and we're with him. So if, if God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah. Yeah. It's harder to do something in when, when light is shed. People need to think about that. It's a lot harder to be sneaky, to be evil when eyes are watching you. When more people are in that courtroom, they didn't like it. The prosecution does not like it. They want you out. They don't want you seeing. They don't want this on TikTok and Instagram and all over Megan Fox, writer. They don't want it because they yeah. want to keep doing what they're doing. Now, do you, uh, do they have a court-appointed attorney or do they have a, a private attorney? They both have a private attorney now. Okay, that's good. And that's, that's the, I'm glad you brought that up. They both have a, an attorney. Because right, see they that, have to, they have no communication, so they each yeah. have to have an attorney. And they know that's going to cost them a fortune, which they probably, I don't know if they can afford it or not. But now they have to have two attorneys instead of one. Like, Gino. It's, sick sometimes so in my situation i keep bringing my situation up just as a to be relevant just so people understand the other side too um so in my situation we were not divorced and we were living together 
and we were right next to each other and they bombarded us with attorneys and forced us to have separate attorneys because they were trying to get us to break up. They were trying to get us to go against each other with our attorneys and they were trying to see who the weaker link was. So a lot of times they come in and they do that and they will force court appointed attorneys on each individual spouse separately, not together. Yeah, so. and I'm sure there's good court appointed attorneys. I think just like caseworkers, foster parents, humans in general, there's good people, there's bad people, there's clueless people, there's lazy people. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of lazy foster parents. No. I don't think oh, they're yeah. bad, but they're not standing up to the bad. So you can take that or leave it. Same with caseworkers. Like they're not standing yeah. up for what they see. They're kind of like pretending they don't notice it. And well, I'm just going to do my job and go about my life. But with yeah. court-appointed attorneys, um, I did see one on this case who was amazing. We really liked her, but she actually went on maternity leave. So that was unfortunate. Um, and the parents needed to hire. And I can tell you, they're about a hundred grand right now into this. And that's not even the criminal aspect of it. Just just the uh, the bond, getting out of jail, um, paying expert mm -hmm. witnesses. And I understand expert witnesses, you know, defects, the, the department made a big deal out of the parents paying their witnesses. Well, these are doctors paid for their time and they want to pretend that their CAP who sat up there wasn't paid when yeah. we all know he's, he's paid, he's paid. He, he has a salary. He got paid. Defects is paid to be there that day, but they made such a big deal that the parents are paying their expert witnesses. Okay, I'm okay with that. Like if you're this is part of your job and you're known to be an expert witness in this field, fine. But there's so much money tied up into this. I don't think people even understand. You have to hire a good attorney yeah. if you even if you're even gonna come close to winning this. And they that's cost why they that's why they go after poor people that they know or people they feel like don't have support because yeah. they feel they're easy targets. Yeah. <clears throat> right yeah these poor hernandez um boy i'd love to have them on the show at some point if we can can uh, matt least... would love to yeah. um he's done a couple of interviews um his attorneys seem okay with that mm -hmm. um but definitely tucky is more her her lawyer might come on with her actually she's super awesome that would be awesome yeah um yeah. he's got a lot of cases right now so she may very i will be happy to ask her of that um absolutely but yeah, I, that's the one thing I thought. I'm like, I really wish the parents could do more interviews because it could be meaningful coming from them. Yeah. You know, their side of what they're going through, which is a much deeper hell than anything that my family mm -hmm. has been. It's really hard to watch other people suffer. I can say that. It's very painful to watch someone suffer. You and must when be an I, empath. Yeah. yeah and when I, <laughs> when I reach out to them, if you say, how's your day? Well, that's stupid. How was your weekend? Are you, do you have any fun plans? I mean, literally anything you say to these people is just cruel. It's just sad. So I usually just say, do you need anything? Is yeah. Anything I can do for you because I don't know what else to say. That is a huge, huge, huge thing because I can tell you again, my own experience, seven years of this now, I spent years in isolation because people were, the good people were too afraid because of that very reason. They didn't know what to say to me, how to talk to me, 
So it kind of re-victimizes if you aren't using your empathy to go give that mm-hmm. parent a hug or just say, what do you need? How can I help you? It's such a huge thing. I mean, literally this past year, my son just turned seven on October 10th this past year. Sylvia, this was the first time that anyone ever acknowledged my son's birthday. That is a huge thing. So anybody listening to this, if people are missing their children, holidays, birthdays, all of these things are so hard for parents that don't even know where their children are, don't have access to their children. We need to stop ignoring parents because it re-victimizes and it makes it much worse. It is the the most awful thing is to ignore a parent that's going through this and feeling so much pain because I've been there and I know parents that have been there where they want us to basically get to the bottom of the bottom and it seems as though they want us to just off ourselves and there aren't enough support systems around there i mean i think there is now but there there wasn't enough support systems for all of us parents that are going through this because it's all behind closed doors and then they don't want people to know about it and then people don't know how to react to it so we really have to be super vocal about it and start lifting all these parents up that are going through it and get their stories out. And we have to literally be extremely loud about it. That's the only option at this point. Yeah, and and, and it's easier. I, I was finding that it was easier for people to act like he didn't exist on them. It's easier on them. So they yep. go by what's easier on them. Everybody, there's so, people are very selfish. Uh, <laughs> usually everything that they put out is about them. It's not about the person that they're trying to help. And and that's what I was noticing with Danielle's son. It's easier to act like he never existed and that you're a liar because mm-hmm. that's easier for people. It's yeah. not easier for you. But like if you actually think about it and you and, and you start bringing up the pictures and stuff, he he did exist. He still <laughs> exists. You know, like yeah. we have to bring him back alive for the people. Yeah, we got to stop erasing families, erasing parents and their children. It, it needs to end, period. I mean, it's funny you have to actually state that. You would think yeah. <laughs> we would all know that inherently, but it's like, it's so true. That's what the system has created. It's created this amnesia. It's like yeah. they, they and this induced amnesia. That's what it, we'll call it, I guess. I don't know. And it's they want you to forget. Well, you know what? They were just bad parents. Just move on, mm-hmm. next one. Oh, more bad parents over here. And what you find out at the end of the day, there aren't that many bad parents, folks. Yeah, yeah there's there's some. Just, like 83% of CPS right. calls are false. Yeah. Like, or, or unsubstantiated, I guess I could say. Unsubstantiated, yeah. Like nothing yeah. comes mm-hmm. from that. That's an insanely high number. And when we first mm-hmm. started talking about this, I was hesitant to post on my, my personal social media because I thought, what is my community going to think of me? Like, are they going to think I'm crazy? Are they going to, what about the foster parents in my area? What are they going to think of me? I've always been uplifting to, you should do foster care, you know, ask me any questions. And I still think there's good in that. I'm, I'm not, I'm like Sylvia. There's, you can be a foster parent and be a good person. I promise you can. You don't have to be part of the problem. Um, I loved it and I miss it. I'm sad that it was taken from us because I do feel like it was part of our family. It was part of something that we did 
together. And I was afraid of what people would think. Like, how do you know that this family's guilty, innocent? But I'm going to stand by before I knew if they were guilty or innocent to physically abusing their baby. I stand by DFACS treated them like garbage and you don't have a right to treat someone like garbage. Now, there are people who severely abuse children. I don't think any of your viewers are dumb. I think we all know they're super bad people and God can judge them and God can take care of them. And I hope he does. The average person does not want to hurt their child. You have people who make mistakes. You have people who may be dependent on drugs, alcohol. They may be living a sinful life where they can't get out of it for whatever reason. They need support too. You don't just go around ripping people's kids out of their homes because they're poor, because they don't have sheets on the bed, because there's not enough food in the house or even water or electricity. How about we help them? How about we find a way to put food in those cabinets? How about churches step up? Have you as a church gone and found anybody who needs winter clothes? Have you found anybody who a single mom who needs food put in her house? Like there are ways to support people without ripping their kids away. And that's what we need. We need to get rid of defects and we need the community to step back up and help people to see a need to come together and help people like little house in the prairie used to do. You know, yeah. and when you, see something, you remember with the abusive father, he was drunk all the time and beat his son. And, and Charles Ingalls was like, I'm about to beat you up. And the, the men of the town took care of it. Like and that was his child, he was just making bad decisions. So I'm not suggesting all parents and all kids that are in foster care don't belong. I've had kids in my home who needed a safe home. I've seen it. I'm sure Sylvia has. Mm-hmm. There are children who need a safe home, but I don't think there's children who need defects. I do not think we need a government entity to take care of families and children. What? Yep. Can I just it's- say something really quick? Sorry, Danny. I just had no, to okay. point something out because you said something really important that most biological families don't want to hurt their kids. Why do we think that a stranger will treat mm-hmm. a child better than a biological family. Does that make sense? Great point. So no. you just you just pointed that out and I want people to understand that when you think of the system, when you think of it from what they are doing, they are taking family kids from biological families and placing them with strangers. When a kid walks into your house, you are a stranger. And it's how, and and it's how you greet them that makes them feel at home. So like we really have to, we have to critical analyze who came up, like why would they come up with this and why did everybody fall for it? Yeah, and uh, I always say this, but it's relevant. 88% of the sex trafficking coming from America is coming from foster care. Yeah. So when we take that number we see a huge problem that needs to be solved by eradicating the problem. And we can deal with the much smaller problem of the actually abused children by finding other family members or finding um, other foster homes or whatever it is that we wanna call it to take care of the children. But the, the much bigger problem is the fact that they are literally trafficking these children. And if, if we didn't have CPS, it seems as though we would completely eradicate trafficking for the most part. So 
it's yeah it's a major problem it's funny yeah, those it's... those metrics are complete failures absolute complete failures anybody that would look at those stats logically and with a critical you know get your magnifying glass out <laughs> go over the facts you would look at it and say this is utter failure so yes. what so this is what you have to ask yourself i always ask why this is this that three letter word has served me so well why then would you continue a system that is so broken and fails 85% of the time well it's got to be about money what else could it possibly be money is the root the love of money is the root of all evil that's what this boils down to and if if you can't see that with these failure rates i mean the trafficking alone like 88% okay this isn't usually 88% in school that was great maybe a b plus if i have if i was on the you know on the curve the grading curve that's failure folks 88% like yeah, i can't even any fathom other that job. like imagine even the pizza yeah. delivery guy he can't mess up 88% <laughs> of the time like you're not going to keep your job and that was a big problem with this realizing how many policies defects caseworkers were just violating like it was no big deal and like 88 percent yeah like 88 percent definitely at least and we would sit down with the parents and we would tell them okay here is the handbook here's the policies here's what they should be doing here's what they can't be doing not even telling them about medical appointments not letting them come to those. And they're supposed to tell them. And when Jonathan and I were foster parents, we loved the, the uh, partnership parenting. Yes. So if you're familiar with that handbook. Oh yeah, yep. That is that's, one I could stand by. If we lived by that as foster, as the foster community, and anytime that it was safe, all it is talking about is work with the biological family. Now, mm -hmm. if court- It should order, be that way. Yes. Yeah. And if court orders tell you you can't, if you have a felon, if you have a scary parent that you are afraid to work with, I understand because that does happen. But on a regular basis, if you could give your cell phone number to the, to the biological parent, let them text you, talk to them about how their child is doing, ask them questions, let them know what's going on, talk to them at court. You will make it so much easier on those kids. We had two kids what, seven, eight years ago, I guess. Um, they were 11 and six and he's about to be 18 in March, the oldest. He invited us to his school play last weekend at his high school. So he was 11 when he was here. He's about to be 18. And I have a picture of him with us and our three kids. And it was so wonderful to see him again. We had a great relationship with this now young man, which blows my mind because we were kind to him kind to his mom. And I think that made all the difference. He felt like we loved him, but we respected his mom as a mom. And our job was to keep him protected and safe and to make sure she knew where he was, how he was doing. And it's a beautiful thing. It's not scary. Like people think you can do this. You really yep. can. And it's better. What's best for the child. That's what we should be asking ourselves. So what is best for the child? So Jennifer, yeah. you, I mean, if you essentially treat, treat sorry, um, Sylvia, if you essentially treat it like a babysitter and they know that mom and dad are, are you know, getting better and eventually you're going to go back home, that's going to make that kid feel a whole lot better than just thinking in the back of his head, I'm never going to see my parents again. 
Like, yeah. I mean, right. I, I just think of myself. I remember like one time I was like five years old or something like that. And I was shopping with my mom and, you know, I was wandering off and being mischievous or whatever. And I was hiding in the clothes. Well, she didn't know. And I lost her. Like she lost me. I lost her. And I remember they were making the announcement over the PA and the, you know, this big department store and stuff. And I remember being so scared that I was never going to see my mom again. And I can't imagine that feeling if you're literally taken out of your home. With right. Them. Like, I and mean, that's exactly it's... right, Gino. And see that, that I did work with the parents because not only does it make their, them less worried, but it helps you. Because whenever I had a child acting out and it was usually, you know, because they missed their mom, I would call the mom and the mom would calm him down. So like, why, why make my job harder if he's just wanting to talk to his mom? You know yeah. what I mean? But so this, uh, a lot of, a lot of foster parents though, and, and I think it has to do with the caseworker, to be honest with you, because a lot of caseworkers, uh, weren't like me either, but like, if you just work with the family and then you work together, those are the ones that you reunite like every time. Well, but, here's but the problem with that is that if their agenda from the beginning with certain families is to never reunite and they were a targeted family, which we're finding more and more is the case. A lot of, a lot of times they will not allow foster parents to communicate at all with the biological parents so I that goes back to the caseworker, right? Because it yeah, goes yeah. back to what is her agenda from the very beginning. Exactly. So, so then it goes back to that same thing, the same person. So literally, you if you're if you're a family that's thrown into um, CPS, you better pray to God that you get a caseworker that actually has uh, morals, ethics, and empathy. Because otherwise you could be screwed. I don't think they last long. I mean, don't. I don't, and I don't want to sound callous. No, or, they don't. But I mean, I don't, we don't know very many caseworkers that I felt now she really cared about that child or wow. I really like her. Don't you, Jonathan? Now there's people in administration, like behind the office that I think really do care, but I'm not sure that I met a caseworker that I thought really loved these kids or cared at all what happened to them. And that's Isn't that crazy. Isn't that crazy? Oh. Um, because like that was, I like I loved working with the kids. The kids are the funny, having conversations with kids is way more interesting than adults. Let me just tell you. <laughs> well, but you're right. Me. It was more like a nuisance to a lot of the caseworkers. Yeah. They're aggravated or they don't have time. And and that goes for foster parents. And I can say this mm -hmm. since I was one. If you want to be a foster parent, you need to realize you're not saving these children. Don't look at it like they're all like you're coming. A hero. From, yes. That, yes, that you're like a savior <laughs> that's come in. And because I'll tell you, Speaking we didn't talk language. a lot about our foster care. Because whenever I would say anything, even something like small, people are like, oh my gosh, you're such an amazing person. You guys are so great. You do mm -hmm. foster care. And I was literally irritated by that because I'm like, I'm just parenting them. I'm just loving this child the same way I already love my kids. And I'm just keeping them safe. So while it's not for everyone, because of court and 
It is hard to get attached and have them leave. It's hard to deal with behaviors that aren't your own children. There is a level of difficultness to it, but it's ridiculous to put parents, the foster parents on this pedestal. Like they're just, God, they're so close to Jesus because they're loving kids. I mean, <laughs> what are you talking about? Not to mention you're getting paid to do it. So yeah. what, and I mean, what are all while eliminating the fact that their parents loved them too and still do. But that's the problem. I don't think a lot of foster parents and anyone who sees this in my community, I would love for them to reach out, message me. And, you know, if they see something different, I would love to hear that. But there's so many who, they, as soon as they get a child, yeah, mom's on drugs. Yeah, yep. she's in rehab. They love to tell you the dirty details of whatever's going on with this family because it's juicy, it's gossipy, you won't believe it. It's like, where is the empathy for this woman living in a motel? Where is the empathy for this child? Like, this shouldn't be about gossiping dirty details. It should be about what can we do to help her, help him get back on their feet so that their baby can go back with them. Because that is what foster care is. Great if you can adopt. And I have three adopted children. So I am all about adoption. But it needs to be done right. It needs to be done where there, are, there is no one else. There's no one else standing up. There is no family. And God tells you, yeah, this is what you need to do. But don't look at it like you're swooping in to rescue all these broken children thrown into the, the ditches. I mean, that's not what's happening. And people need to get that through their head. I, yes, then, I, I love that. And then the other thing about that, like you just said, it, I completely agree with everything you just said. You know, why not help the mother or father or family that is just struggling through something? Why not help them? I mean, why are we separating children from their families if people are poor, if they need food, or if they can't meet their electricity bill and their lights get shut off and then they get in trouble because their lights are off. I mean, okay, so people collect these children. They have multiple children inside of their home. They're getting money for it. Why are we not giving the money to the, that family? Or maybe like take in the whole entire family, like th like the father, mother, and child or something. Like why are we having to separate what God has put together? We're not supposed to be doing that. Yeah. Right. And the Bible does talk about take care of the orphans. He doesn't say make them an orphan and take care of them. It says take care of the orphans. Great point. And I do have to say, I've got a couple of people, um, friends in my life that do foster care and they do an awesome job. Like in particular, one woman I'm thinking about her and her husband invited the biological parents to church with them. It was a very appropriate situation and they were able to do that, pour into them. So there are good foster parents who see that need. I, oh, just yeah. wish I, agree. There were more. I just yeah. wish that as a general rule, it wasn't looked at in a negative way. You know, Hollywood paints foster kids like they're going to burn your house down yes. and, a dog, and foster parents live in creepy homes and they collect all the money. I mean, it's like there's no it, none of it's real. You're, it's not what it really is. And that's sad to me. Yeah, I have a, one question for you, Jennifer. Have you ever read? a good narrative about a biological family that was given to you by CPS? No. Me either. No, I've had zero, like no information. Um, no, I can't think of a time that goes back to the caseworker though. I can't think of a time mm -hmm. where a caseworker has spent time with me. I mean, they're usually putting them 
shoving them out the car. We had a transporter once bring us two babies, 17 months old, two months old. When she got to my house, I said, what are their names? And she said, oh, I don't know. She said, I was Christmas shopping when I got this call. I said, you don't know their names? She's like, no, I'm sure someone from DFAX will tell you we were getting in the car to go look at Christmas lights. And I just looked at my husband and this toddler, she's 17 months old. She's screaming bloody murder, snot everywhere because she's just thrown from one car to another. I don't even know her name to help calm this child down. That's disgusting. And the way the transporter looked at me, she was like, why would I know their names? Like she was completely baffled that I would ask that question. There was not a bit of empathy in that woman. She's busy Christmas shopping. And that's sad to me. And that was the same case where the caseworker said to me, hey, because we had them for Christmas. She said, hey, you know, the, the mom would like to do a FaceTime call on Christmas, but if you don't want to, just don't worry about it. And I was like, no, I would be glad to do that. Like, send me her number. She was like, okay. And I ended up calling her that day or texting her first. And I was just kind of weirded out, but I was like, hey, I have your kids. My name is so-and-so, you know, this is where I'm at. And we FaceTimed every day, multiple times a day, because that's what was good for her children. That's what made her see that her kids were safe. So why would a caseworker say, eh, if you have the time or you feel like it, do it. But otherwise, I literally don't care. And that's how she, she didn't care whether we FaceTimed or not. But that's sad. It should not be that way. It is. It's gross. You know, um, I didn't want to pass by the, you know, you brought up how social workers are, there's this high turnover rate. And, and I don't want to paint with a broad brush here, but I have to, I do tend to think that there's a large, probably, I don't want to put out a, a number, but there's a large, por- large portion of them that are, I think their conscience is getting to them because they're making decisions. And I think after time, first, it's, it's probably just a job. I would say you just go there, you're just doing your job. But then when you know the inner workings of the system and how, how it operates, I think there's probably a point in the human mind when it's like, this is kind of gross. Like I'm, some people probably enjoy it. They're sick and twisted, but there's a large portion that probably are like, I got to get out of this. Like I, and instead of just standing up and saying, this is wrong because of the fear, they just move on to another career or do something else, go back to school. I have a feeling that that's out there. And and if you're listening right now and you were a, a social worker, we want to hear from you. If that's that was your mindset and you started seeing in the system that, wow, this is really disgusting. I need to get out of here. We need to talk to you. And foster I, parents. Like Jennifer, and foster yeah. parents. This has been like huge for me. And I just feel like we need more of this, like more of the foster parents. If there was a foster parent that came out in my situation, it would have changed everything. And I don't know what kind of crazy narrative they have of me, but I know it was all false. (laughs) And Sylvia, you had just asked the question um, if Jennifer had ever read anything um, good about any parents. Well, now that you have been dealing with so many of us parents on the other side, what, what, Sylvia, like, what is the difference for you now based on like what you used to see versus you actually knowing us now? What has been the difference? Well, I mean, it's the truth. The truth is the difference. Um, Because 
it, it's crazy when you read these stories when you when you get a child and Jennifer you can you can attest to this depending on the caseworker depending on what they told you did they ever give you a chart or did you just get told by the caseworker what the behaviors or what the family dynamic was but like you you're just given this one story you usually don't even get to to talk to the biological family uh depending on the caseworker like sometimes you have some cases and you don't talk to the biological family at all so you only have a narrative to go by mm -hmm. And the real reason we ever got connected, I would say, besides the one I just told you about, we were respite for them. And I was like, I'm going to call the mom. I mean, what's, what harm is that going to come? I mean, if they're crazy, I'll change my phone number. Like, you know, doesn't matter. The biggest thing that ever helped us to talk to people was um, we went to court. We always went to court. And there were a time that I can think of specifically where we tried to introduce ourselves to a biological parent and they wanted nothing to do with us. That's actually understandable. They see me as an enemy. So I do understand that. I wish that they would have, their case could have ended differently if they would have let me befriend them because that's all I wanted to do. But most of them were very kind. Um, the young boy I mentioned earlier, his mom was precious. She thanked us. She, she thanked us for keeping her babies together so that they weren't separated. Mm -hmm. She wasn't this evil, horrible person. Her, she had things she was struggling with, yes. And to be honest, I don't know if those things she was struggling with was worth her children being ripped out of their beds at one in the morning by the police and brought to my house an hour later. Um, I don't think that, that I just, I struggle with that. I think there's a few kids that we've had that really things could have been very different if somebody would have just stepped in. Cause even that transporter for this precious boy, he was 11. And when he got here, it was like 2 a.m. And he said to me, this transfer barely talked. And he was like, hey, the, the boy had this on him. And he handed me a fire starter. So what is your thought process behind that for this foster kid? And I didn't really want teenage boys. And here I have this 11-year-old boy. And I was like, a fire starter? And the transfer was like, yeah. Like, he didn't care. It didn't matter. Well, I found out the next day from this little boy, he had just done Boy Scouts. It's like a plastic oh. fake thing. It wasn't real. He had done Boy Scouts and they gave them that to teach them how to start fires in Boy Scouts. He couldn't have started a fire with this if his life depended on it. It wasn't real. But my point is this transporter didn't even take time to get to know this kid. He didn't take time. He took it like it was a weapon. He didn't take time to talk to him. You know, he barely got the kids out of the truck without leaving. I don't remember that guy's name, what he looked like. He wasn't nice. He didn't talk. I mean, we, you're putting, you're subjecting these kids to so many people between yes. police, caseworker, transporter, foster parents, psychologists, all these people that you make them CCFA people. I mean, you sit down and you do all these assessments and these tests and all these stuff. And these kids are overwhelmed by it. And it's mm -hmm. so sad because it's not helping their trauma at all. No, it's, it's causing them. it. Yeah. Yes, it's it, causing it. it. Why? I wonder why foster kids act out. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. Think about that. Kids act out. My kids are in the other room. I mean, you know, Lord knows when I get out there, they're going to have something to say someone did. Kids are kids. But when you take everything away from them that's normal and beat their door down at 1 a.m. and take them out of their bed and put them in a truck and say, we're taking you somewhere new. I mean, do you want to do that? And they don't even grab clothes most of the time when no, they do that. They, 
they came with nothing. No one's ever right. come with anything except a few respite kids who came from another foster family. But no, they don't grab their stuff. Mm-hmm. They don't get their stuff. So then you go out and you spend $200 on clothes and you get reimbursed by the state. But why are we doing that? Why are we wasting that money to buy clothes when this child most likely had a few outfits at home, but no one spent the time to let them pack it? Yeah, they they literally just grab them and go. And that's part of the trauma too, because um, this was, I don't know if you've ever like gone on a trip and just left your stuff behind. Like you, you feel so out of place and they don't even have a toothbrush. Usually they don't have any hygiene, nothing. So you're buying a toothbrush and all this stuff and you're trying to find, you're like, what do you need? What do you, but, but think about it. Who goes on a trip and don't take anything? Sylvia, so out of place. That's such a great point because think about this. I bet those very same people that are dropping these kids off, if their luggage got lost, God forbid, on a vacation, they would be irate, demanding their money back and all this. But yet they'll drop off kids and maybe they have a you know a pair of shoes. (laughs) Like I don't, I don't get it. Again, that I think that's part of the whole entire design of it because in in my situation. I was ready for a newborn. I had all of the newborn stuff, tons and tons and tons of newborn clothes. He did not, he was not allowed to have one thing that I had for him. They, they refused to take anything that I gave to CPS after they kidnapped him at one day old. They didn't take any of the clothes. They wouldn't take my milk. They refused. So they're taking resources from other places and they're refusing the biological parents any connection. So, yeah, I've seen other foster parents actually sadly say things like that. Like, well, mom sent these, but you know, I'm not, I'm not going to put this on him or mom wants him to use this sippy cup, but we don't like this sippy cup. Like for one, you don't really have to tell me that to be honest. I don't need to know that if I'm a respite parent, just give me what I need. And I don't need to know. And that was one problem that defects really had with me. They want to know why I got involved because I was just a respite parent. Like, why did you reach out to the mom? You had no business doing that. Uh, so they really, got mad about that. Oh, they were mad about that. Yeah, they were demanding. Miss Miss Smith, who uh, Gino mentioned earlier, you know, they wanted me to, to email her back. Like, email us, call us. Like, what's going on? And I'm like, no, I've said all I need to say. Like, and they didn't talk to me at court. They could have asked me anything, but they didn't. So they got mad instead of saying, Jennifer, can we ask you what it is that caused you to doubt the situation? What is it about Emma that made you think something wasn't right? Yeah. Can you, can you elaborate for us? No, it was not that. It was like, what are you doing? Who are you talking to? Who called who? We didn't give your information to the mom. What's happening? They I would were just like to see your profile. They were completely... <laughs> they were completely freaked out by it. And if they would have just asked me a few questions and shown some empathy, that's how I can prove that this yeah. is shady and everything went wrong because they did not ask me or my husband, what do you, what happened? Like you guys got involved. Maybe are we doing something wrong? And then when we had meetings and we were told, Oh, we'll get a, what is it, an FSP or FPS FSP FSP. We'll get one of those to like look in and, and, but, but we can't tell you anything because we can't talk about the case to you. But don't worry, we're going to get someone to investigate all this. So someone from the government is going to investigate the government and yeah. we're not going to hear how that goes. 
No. Okay, that's a problem. And when we call all these other people and everyone just keeps denying us, how is there no oversight? That's why there's 85% problem because there's no oversight. They're just literally getting paid to do whatever they want and no one's holding them accountable. How does that not bother people? Yeah. I knew knew it it was bad, but now we know it's really bad. Like mm -hmm. we need oversight. Yeah, completely. And I even went to the um, Children Advocacy of Georgia and it was because a caseworker told me that uh, she had, like, you can file a complaint against the caseworker through them and then they have to go and they have to have a meeting and they have to explain the case. Uh, but it was after I started sending them information that they stopped talking to me. I never heard back from them. It's it's the same as internal affairs. I mean, give me a break. Like, it, does anything ever really happen with that stuff? A little slap on the wrist, maybe, just because they know that there might be some public eye on it. If there was oversight, all of it goes away. All of it. Yes. If there was checks and balances, it all goes away. But the yes. system, just like Danielle had mentioned, and I know Sylvia's mentioned this before too, it's designed this way. It's intentional. It's easy to see. It's incentivized. It's it's all the above. And if it's in in you know Jennifer, you said, well, you know, why aren't people standing up? It's no one knows. Like I I I mentioned this a million times. I mean, I didn't know about it until I got involved with these ladies. And Megan Walsh, I do stuff with Megan. And, and it was like, I had no idea. I was clueless. I always thought CPS came in and just took from bad parents. And thank God they did. And they're saving these poor little children. You know, I fell for it. I was naive. And then you now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I, I would have supported that? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? But even in my own family, I've talked with family members about, you know, the things we're working on. And... And some of them are like, well, no, they do good stuff. And you have to tell them, you're like, well, tell me what's good. What are they doing? And it's the same thing you just said. Oh, the mom's on drugs. Dad's an alcoholic, doesn't go to work, can't keep the lights on. You know, it's it's all these false narratives that, yes, there's a handful of people like that. Of course, there's bad apples everywhere. Mm-hmm. But that's not the gist of it. That's That's not the entirety of it. And that's what the awareness part of this this is the hardest part getting this in the public eye look this is not a popular show <laughs> people don't want to people don't want to tune into this this isn't going to make them oh gosh i feel wonderful after this and i'm going to go you know out for dinner with my like no it, it makes you sick yeah. but you know i don't know how to i don't know how to put sugar on top yeah i don't know how to put sugar on top of this i mean it's it's a disgusting thing it needs to end and you know we're all going to do the hard work and and we're in it for the long haul but something's got to give like justice has to come. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I go on these rants every now and then and I just get so irate. <laughs> I'm just like, I want. Mm. Oh, but <laughs> I like... was thinking you said that about like parents that we know and we said it earlier. There's a, not every foster home is safe and loving. So it's like you can't just assume a biological mm-hmm. parent is a loving parent or an abusive parent or a neglectful mm-hmm. parent. You can't just assume things. And when people have said to me, well, what are we supposed to do? Like, do you want this judge or these, these doctors to send kids back to an abusive home? No, of course I don't want that to happen. But I also don't want them being ripped out of their mother's arms, physically ripped out of their mother's arms. Sometimes we've seen that 
there are safety plans. There are ways, again, if the church and the community, which they don't, but if the church and the community stood up and helped more, this would not be a problem. So shame on the church and shame on the people and shame on the communities. Because if we stepped up and knew our neighbors well and saw that they were struggling or knew that there was an issue, we could step up and help. So it's a shame on us. But as far as being at the doctor and should this CAP send this child home or not? Okay, if you really don't know, first of all, the Hernandez case, within two hours of being at Choa Hospital, they were abusive. You guys have hurt this baby. Two hours, that's not enough time to barely fill out the paperwork and get the x-ray going. Like, that's not right. enough time to say to these people, look, something's come up on her x-ray. Let's sit down and, and talk about it. Let me show you what's on her x-ray to talk about medical issues with both parents find out if they have a family member thankfully in this case they did they found their blood relative aunt and uncle but that didn't last long remember they ripped the babies from their care without double checking anything i mean do you really think it's more likely that the aunt and uncle are allowing the mom to come in or that this baby might have a medical issue and we found out at court this past friday from a previous daycare director that Emma had been throwing up every day between July and December 1st and had discoloration on her skin daily. That's what was put on the stand that this baby is sick. And defect said, well, this is the first we're hearing about it. That's a lie. Everyone knows that that's a lie. So you have these obvious bright light issues going on and people want to turn a blind eye to it. It blows my mind, honestly, to think that you can say all foster homes are safe and biological parents aren't. Like, it just well, doesn't make any sense. The, what's interesting about that is uh, just out of curiosity for everybody listening, Jennifer, when you became a foster parent, did you have to do a service plan to prove that you are capable of being a foster parent? Did you have to do a psychological evaluation? God, Danielle, that's, <sighs> no, you don't, I mean. How do we know you weren't a drug abuser or an like, alcoholic or an abuser? Actually, did you have to submit to drug tests every week? I don't think we ever did a drug test. <laughs> I mean, the first time we got approved was 13 years ago, but I'm honestly not sure we ever, I don't remember peeing in a cup or what, it, well, did they take my blood? I don't know. Well, there must be continuing education classes for parenting, correct? Sure, anything online that I dub, I learned from it. You can count that off as continuing education. Isn't that messed up? That is so messed up. I like this questioning. What else questioning do that we was have, good, Danielle? Danielle. That was so good. What <laughs> um, parenting classes? That. Did you have to take parenting classes? No, no. And you know what? That like to hear that in court, to hear a judge look into another adult and say, you need parenting classes before you can get your kids back. Is like a year ago, no one even knew that this family existed. No one in that courtroom knew. They were living their adult life, their happy marriage life without us, without anyone. And now we're telling them they have to take parenting classes. How messed up is and, that? And, and they have to pay for them. <laughs> and, yes, they pay, and they have to pay. And they have to pay for their attorneys and then they have to pay for their drug testing and they have to like, it's all this, like just heaping coals on top of them. 
Yes. Like you're a terrible human being and we're going to make you even more terrible by proving it yeah. with our own example. system. The, the parents both need um, certain, so I'll be careful, but they need certain uh, parenting classes, certain evaluations done. And the mom that day, she messages the caseworker, like, what's a list? Are you supposed to approve it? What is a list? We're going on tomorrow will be a week. She's heard nothing. So one week is going to go by of this mother saying, okay, send me what I need because the judge told me and I, I'm going to do it. What happens when DFAPS doesn't respond to them? How well, many weeks So they Jennifer, what, we will definitely help you here because here's what's going to happen. They're going to try to railroad her. So the way that they do that is that <clears throat> they're going to take long in responding, right? Right. So, and then, and then they're going to, so they're going to waste time. And, and then, then say, your honor, uh, she didn't get it done in time, your honor. Yep. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Uh, mm -hmm. but, uh, there's ways around this and, um, she can actually sign up for her own classes. She don't even have to, because it is unethical for a judge to request a specific place for them to attend. Uh, but yeah, we, I mean, we can help you. Uh, that is the one thing I know how to do a case plan, um, and, and make sure that she's not railroaded, but that that's, that's their next move. Oh, yeah. To talk about case plans real quick, just out of curiosity, I'm sure you're very familiar. So when the child is removed, DFACS, according to the federal law that we pulled up months ago when we got involved with this, DFACS has 30 days to provide a case plan to the parents. Is this correct to your knowledge? Is this something that that you were yeah, part they, of? Yeah, they have to do a case plan. But what happens if it's 200 days and they finally get the case plan? Oh, uh, you don't let it get 200 days. You do not let it do that. So so in the beginning, when this first happened, that's why I had asked the parents, like, where is the case plan like that you signed? And they're like, we never signed anything. The only thing they ever signed was for the uh, aunt, the maternal aunt to take the girls that night. They did sign that piece of paper. She and can I take our kids. And I wouldn't recommend signing a case plan. Nope. They're going to yeah, put no. a case. Yeah, don't don't sign the case plan. They're going to put a case plan on them no matter what. Sure. Uh, but they don't have to sign it. But the part that's interesting is they didn't, I think it was 120 days when they finally did give a case plan and it was to terminate. It was the case plan was already non-reunification. That's when they got it. Um, interesting to me that no, they're not held accountable for that. That's a federal law. So even when I pointed that out a few times, basically anyone that I've said that to is like, and the, nobody really seems to care, but like me and Jonathan, and accountability. Yep. Like yeah. they, they broke a federal law, but Hey, it's defects. The, so. the law doesn't apply to them. Well, that's yeah. what I'm learning. I a hundred percent stick to this with every single thing. Um, in most cases that I've seen, including my own, I never, ever, ever go past the first five documents of any case because at the very, uh, like at the rip, it's already fraudulent. So the fact that they're even in a case plan is already fraud. They shouldn't be doing a case plan, period. So um, th their child in, in this particular case obviously has a real medical problem that needs to be dealt with. That has nothing to do with the fact that these parents can't parent. They should... They should not be wasting their time in a case plan. They should be taking care of their child. Yes. Who's sick. Yes. Yeah. So we need to start looking at the very first couple of documents 
there's no due process. There's no warrant usually. Um, and if there is a warrant, it's fraudulent. So we need to look at that. I really firmly believe we need to go back and look at every single case, the very first couple documents and really look at it with like a fine tooth comb and see the fraud and deal with that fraud. Cause anything past that doesn't matter. Yeah. <clears throat> messed up isn't it like when you say it out loud this is all stuff I've known for half a year now but when you say it out loud you're just like how is this really happening <laughs> like right in America, like how are we doing this in America where everybody thinks innocent until proven guilty let me tell you something not in family court mm -mm. there are no rules in family court and that's why there's no cameras allowed and that's why usually they're not on zoom they don't yeah. want it there's no constitution. They don't even use yeah. the constitution. No. Yeah, you're right. It's a joke. The, ju the whole thing's a joke. The judge literally said to me, the constitution does not apply in my courtroom. Mm -hmm. He oh, literally okay. said that. Yeah. He's and we've kind heard of that. not kidding because yeah. it, it doesn't. <laughs> and we've heard that several times. That's not, I've, I've at least heard it six or seven times on shows we've done. Yep. yep. It should anger doesn't matter. People. Like that uh -huh. should make people angry. I don't. Oh, and I know not everyone, like you said earlier, they don't want to hear this kind of stuff. And a lot of people use social media to like, look at cute pictures of dogs and, you know, take pictures of what they ate that week. And I'm all about it. Like, if that's what you want to do, if that's what makes you happy, not everyone needs to be passionate about this, but it's just hard for me to understand how someone can just scroll on by something like this and be like, well, there's Jennifer again, you know, going on and on and on about how great she is and how cool she is because she's you know, done this with foster care. I just wish people would understand, like read it and understand that this, if this was you, I would fight for you. I didn't know this family. There's no connection with me with this family. So I wish people would understand who would do this for me if this was my babies. Right. Who that's scrolling by would have said, wait, what? There's a problem with this. We need to help this family because sometimes I look and besides like you are the power and Megan Fox and the three faces I see here. I'm like, who's out there in the world besides my family, of course, and my church? Like, who's going to help me? Is everyone going to scroll on by? Is that what they do when Matt and Tucky post stuff? They just scroll because they're like, oh, here's these people still talking about their kids. I mean, that's the, oh, that's the feeling. Yeah. Jennifer, that other man, Jennifer, you are, you are expressing my thoughts exactly. Because <laughs> I would just, even as we're, watching the show i watch the numbers occasionally just to see if we got people actually interested in the topic because you would think a topic like this this is well let me preface it by this in the patriotic movement which started i don't know six seven years ago the number one talk was the children that's what i heard ad nauseum it's about the children it's about the children i mean i heard it every day all day long and i'm like yeah let's let's save children let's do that right and then as you know fast forward six years seven years i don't know where everybody is all these people that were talking about saving children because we can't find one <laughs> well i shouldn't say that there's a few people that obviously are you know doing things but there's very few and i look at the numbers you know just even on rumble and the numbers go up and down and you're like okay so talking about children and on a patriotic network like rumble a free speech network doesn't prompt viewers that people don't want to watch that or hear about the children because i thought that's what it was about and see i'm not trying to be i'm not trying to call out people but i'm i'm i do hate hypocrisy in fact on my twitter i'm 
hater of hypocrisy. <laughs> it's right in my bio. And it because I can't stand when someone says, yeah, let's do this. And they, you know, and they've got this complex, this hero complex. And then all of a sudden they're just like, eh, it's too hard. I'm just going to. And then, then the topic's on and they don't even want to watch it. So do you really want to save children or are you just talking a mean game? Because I'm done with it. I'm, I'm, I know the ladies are too. Megan Walsh, we work with Megan Walsh. Megan's sick of it. We're all done with it. I, I can't even go on Twitter because I can't even stomach it anymore. I'm so sick of the nonsense because no one, everybody talks a big game. You know, they might have, they might have a hundred thousand followers. Are they doing anything? Who cares? Like, I don't, if I have 10 followers and they want to do something, that's more yeah. productive than a hundred thousand that aren't doing anything. Right. So, you know, I, I, and it's like, that's not a popular thing. That's not going to get me views. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Like, but I don't care. I don't care because I know it's God doing something through us and mm -hmm. we're going to win. And then all these wannabes that, you know, they're going to come along later on. They're going to be like, oh, look at the hard work we did. I mean, really? Where were you? Where were you? Because right. we could have used you two years ago, three years Every ago. Everybody can find something to be passionate about. So I, it's hard for me to understand that you wouldn't be passionate about innocent children. But I, mean, I don't want to cast judgment. Like if you were passionate about veterans, if you're passionate about animal shelters, like there are other things. I'm not saying everybody in my community and in my life needs to be as passionate as me. For one, they were not affected directly. They didn't hold Aria at three years old crying for her mommy and daddy like I did. Okay. They did not try and help Emma as she was constipated and wondering what was going on with this little girl. So I realized we're connected in a different way. But I said it before, everyone knows kids. You know a child you care about. So once you see this and once you know that it's happening, I just don't understand how you can't at least as a Christian see it and your heart is drawn to it and you can't say, well, what can I do? Or I've been praying. Or, you know, is there anything specific that I can pray for? Like things like that, because don't you want these people on your side? If, if something happens with you, don't you want that? And we can't be ignorant and think that we're safe and that nothing's going to happen with us because we can protect our kids from Hollywood. I can protect my kids from government schools. There's ways I can protect my kids, but we need to start realizing, and I'm not trying to be like a crazy conspiracy theorist. But you need to start realizing the government is now taking your children out of hospital or in your home because you were concerned about their health. Mm -hmm. right. like if you say that out loud, I took my child to the doctor because I was concerned for them. And then I didn't leave the hospital with them. I got walked out by a sheriff. I got arrested. That is that should be terrifying to people. That should absolutely bother people. Even if your kids are grown, are you going to have grandkids? You have a neighbor with a kid? You have a niece or nephew? Do you care about kids at all? Because if you don't speak up about this and you aren't passionate about this to some level, then you are part of the problem. And I think that that's harsh, but it's the truth. If you're not doing something to acknowledge this, then aren't you part of the problem? To me, yes, you are. Yep. Yeah, and it could be a, something as simple as sharing this broadcast or sharing a tweet someone puts up or, you know, whatever. Yeah, you it's, it doesn't, you don't, have, you don't have to, right. It's not like, go like all us. all in and yeah, do exactly. podcasts and go to court exactly. and, you know, <laughs> like let it consume your life. I mean, you do right. not have to do this. There are ways to just say, wow, sure. that's really horrible and I feel bad about it. Let me know if you guys need anything. There's ways to help without getting like all in. Definitely.
getting all in is depressing and it's hard. Not like my life is depressing. My life is awesome. But watching other people mm -hmm. suffer will take a toll on your body. It will take a toll on your family. It is very painful to know that you have healthy children, happy home, a happy marriage, great husband, which I do have. And to know that other people are struggling in a way that's so unfair because it's stacked up against them at every mm. single level. They are being ripped apart physically, emotionally, financially. How can you not care about that? I know. Oh my gosh. I think about it every day. I, and I know that the ladies do too. I, like I'm literally driving home today and I was thinking, I was thinking about our show tonight and I was just going through some things in my head and I was just thinking, there's people that are just hurting so bad for no reason other than evil okay. and money. And it's, and it yeah. just, I, I don't know. It eats me do alive. Think, do you think it's more pride, power, or money? Like, what is your uh, take? Uh, it might actually, be all three. <laughs> actually, I think it's all three. Because the one thing that I noticed was that when uh, DFATS realizes that they're wrong, they will not admit it. Yeah. They will cover it at, at all costs before they will admit it. And that that is pride. Um, it, be it becomes a never-ending cycle with them because um, as soon as parents start showing the truth, they want to cover the truth. Mm -hmm. So they create more lies, which is prideful. Yeah. And then they just keep cover covering and covering and covering until it's a huge spider web. Yeah, and but you know, the, the best... The best evidence is, of that is like when they give these stupid case plans, like we were talking about earlier. They'll give you a case plan. The parent does exactly what's on the case plan. Well, I'll be darned. It wasn't enough. Now the goalpost just moved and they've added five more things or another yeah. drug test or another this or an evaluation, psych evaluation. It's like it's a never ending cycle with these people because they will not lose. Mm -hmm. They will not lose. Now you're saying, thank God, in this case, it does seem like there's some exposure and that's what's you know going to bring this uh, reunification. Yeah. But. But if that didn't happen, it would have been. It's the same cycle. They're just going to keep using. If it's if the if it's not broken, why fix it? Keep keep yeah. using this the same joke system over and over again against these mm -hmm. poor parents. Yeah. Yeah. It's disgusting. It's so sick. I and it's, you know, you, it's a righteous indignation. It's just like when Jesus went into the temple and overturned the money changers. It's the same thing. We're, it's evil. It's it's unjust. And it's disgusting. And if we don't stand up, I mean, I, this is not an overstatement. I've said it a million times. We don't have a country. The, 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 the foundation of a country is God and family. I mean, if you t they've taken God out of pretty much everything. And, and now they're destroying families. Yeah. Like, what do we have left? This, this will be a miserable place to live. Right. you got to fear the government coming to your door and stealing your family. Yes. And a lot of people I've seen like on some of the parents behind the pinwheels post, and I understand where they're coming from. Um, and I don't know what kind of uh, things rumble has and stuff, but people will say things like, well, you know, no one over, over my dead body. Is anyone taking my kid? Oh, I'm, I'm thinking, I understand where you're coming from. I really do. Cause in a way I feel the same, but do you know how many people you have to take out? Yep. Do you know like how much ammo you need like when you're in a hospital? And I'm not trying to be rude. I'm being serious. Like you, there's so many people against you in that moment. And plus when you're innocent, I put myself in their shoes. You're answering questions because you're fearful about what's going on with your child. Every one of these people are fearful about what's going on with their child. So they're willing to answer anything 
because they know they're innocent. They're just answering questions about what is going on with their child. They're not thinking that they're going to be in trouble. That is not in their mind. They're just answering questions because they're worried. So where do we get to the place where we have to now be scared to talk to doctors, to talk to social workers and police officers for that matter? I am none too impressed with a lot of the law enforcement, um, specifically on this case and a few other cases. Same with social workers. You might have a few that step out. But do you know how many social workers from the hospital are on little Emma's paperwork? Do you know how many people signed off? So many. So many. There's social workers and defect social workers. I mean, there's just so many names that are involved in here. I started writing them all out, but I got completely overwhelmed. And I was like, all these nurses, so many nurses, so many doctors, so many people involved. Did anyone even look? Did you just sign your name on things without even paying attention? Are you just yep. living day to day? Are you not looking? Are you not questioning? You just drinking the Kool-Aid and no one's asking any questions. It just blows my mind. Um, I had a defects caseworker a few years ago asked to be removed off of our foster kids case um, because I was trouble because I asked too many questions. I was like, I mean, I have to ask questions about this child and it wasn't nosy questions like what's their background. It was specific things like, are you sure you're allowed to say that about this kid? You know, they wanted one teenager to have a specific therapy. And this teenager was very hesitant. She said, I'm not doing that. Caseworker said, I'll pick you up and put you in my car and I will drive you there. I said, no, 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 you won't. We will find a therapy that works well for her, something she will do. We had to pay out of pocket to do equine therapy, but that worked for her. It's like, why can't you ask questions? Why can't you say, I have to do this? Why? Because it's the government? Because caseworkers telling you you have to? But that's what these parents do too. I'm seeing it. I see it with the Hernandez. They'll say to me, well, they say I have to do this. Is that, do I have to? And I'm like, nope, not according to this policy. You don't tell, tell them this. Like they're scared to ask questions because these people are so hateful. They're not on their side at all. Why? Why aren't you supporting this family for the reunification that DFACS wants so badly? according to paperwork yeah it's so true and and you know thank you for advocating for kids because that's a lot of like people when I when I try to describe the foster system it's hard to remember all these little things that you remember from working with individual you know like certain cases but like they they will they will make like uh, the kids do stuff that they don't want to do like therapy and stuff like that and equine therapy I love equine therapy that's um that's something that is well, this child needed some kind of therapy in my opinion I'm a big believer in therapy but I'm not a big believer in telling a 14 year old who's hurt and angry and mad at the world that we're gonna pick her up and put her in the car and make her go like how is that gonna help her at all? It was so rude. It was not going to help the situation. There's ways to talk to these children. They're not just, you know what I mean? There's ways to right. talk. And ways right. to talk to the birth parents and ways to talk to the foster parents. If we all just talk to each other nicely, like we actually cared about what was going to happen, so many things would be different. So many families could be reunited or never even have their children taken from their care. If somebody listened and cared. Yep. 
I'm so glad that you just said, uh, well, everything you just said, but one particular thing that stood out was when you said, because this has happened so many times, people are like, well, what did you do? Because if it was my child, that wouldn't happen to me. And I, I'm so glad that you brought that up because when you are surrounded by SWAT teams and uh, social workers and there's 15 people around you and your child, what in the world are you supposed to do? So people have to wake up to the fact that this is happening because yes, it would happen to you. Yes, it can happen to you. If it can happen to me and other parents that I know that are extremely 100% honest and innocent and we haven't done anything wrong, it can happen to literally anyone on this planet. It literally can happen to anybody. So we have to just keep letting everybody know because it's, I really think that they are trying to control so much that they, I mean, I don't want to fear monger, but it can happen to anybody. I know, I know where you're at because you do want to be honest. Um, and there for a little while, I could feel myself having a hard time reining in my sanity where yeah. I was at and just kind of like, not paranoid, but just, I finally said, you know, I'm not going to do it. That's what they want. And I'm not going to do yeah. it. I'm going to live yeah. my life. But if we can teach parents, especially those with new babies and young babies, if we can teach them, you have rights, yeah. you're allowed to stand up to yourself and you do not owe a doctor an explanation for anything. And I also personally don't believe in some of these big hospitals um, mm -hmm. that have CAPs. I believe we need a good relationship with our family doctor, a pediatrician. You need a good foundation, a good relationship where you trust them and they trust you and they advocate for you and they send you and they check in on you. If you don't have that with your doctor, I highly suggest you get that because that's the problem in almost all of these. Once that one person says it's abuse, it's very hard to get anyone to listen to the 50 other people that might be saying it's not because they're so zoned in on this paid person. And like we already discussed, um, mm -hmm. they're like a God in a courtroom. I don't know why I can't understand it. I don't know if it's just, they all acknowledge it. And it's like this hidden secret. No one says out loud and all the judges know CAPs rule the roost. I don't know. Are they innocent? Do the judges not see it? It's, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know that they're all corrupt. <laughs> Right. Um, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Well, for whatever reason in this Hernandez case, at least this judge is listening to reason. And I don't, I, I just tend to think it's the numbers. There's strength in numbers that stands true. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a key to this, this point. Yeah. We would love to connect with the Hernandez um, and have them on and, you know, discuss their story and, and the atrocities that have happened to their family. Um, Jennifer, any, any last words before we wrap up? No, I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, I'm really happy. My sister reached out to Sylvia. My sister also is the one who reached out to you are the power. So she's pretty awesome because yeah, <laughs> she is. she's helped me connect with a lot, um, a lot of people to do really great things. And I'm just, I'm really thankful. And I hope people aren't tired of hearing my voice and hearing the same story over, I hope people will just listen and understand like there's meaning behind this, like listen to it and find your passion, find something you can do. Um, and yeah. Sylvia, I would definitely like to continue a relationship with you just to make sure I'm helping the Hernandez family with all that I can with yes. any information you have. Definitely. Yes. Well, I, I loved hearing you talk about that. You are very like 
you're you flowed very well and and you're very passionate about it and um i'm I'm gonna start a chat with danielle so we can see if we can help you with some uh documentation uh because that's really i think what it boils down to yeah well, I yeah, feel like are... I ramble a lot on these, so I am sorry if I did ramble. No, but when people no. Say, no, 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 we well, loved it. Well, they'll say like, well, tell me, how did you meet the Hernandez? Like, how'd you get here? And I'm like, oh my God, it's a really long story, but here we go. And I don't know at what point do they want me to be quiet? What point do I keep going? Mm -hmm. um, okay. I try not to miss details, but it's also important. And there's so much, you know, there's so yeah. much to all of these stories so yeah. much so i'm so appreciative no, for you that's taking that's why we have people like you on jennifer we want you to talk we want these stories out there we want it from the from yeah. the mouths of the the people that are involved in it because it's not being told we know this the legacy media does nothing so it's it the story is not being told there i you know jennifer there was this um usa today actually did a big investigative report on foster care and adoption and cps and and i've read their articles this is back i think it was probably six years ago and it was supposed to be a continuing story. And they had like six or seven reporters on it. I mean, it was a big deal. And they had very good stories, I got to say. Um, they didn't seem very slanted. It seemed like they were actually telling the facts. And it was pretty disturbing stuff. And so I've written them at least three or four times, emails saying, hey, I would love to talk to one of your reporters. We do a podcast. We'd love to have you on. Or maybe we could talk in private. I get nothing. Like, and they're supposed to be doing an investigative <laughs> report. And it's like what is going on did you what did did all of a sudden it, it all the stuff stopped and now everything's you know hunky-dory like we just get to go on with life i don't know it seems like it's still a problem to me yeah no it's definitely a problem but reporters do seem to not either not be interested or be fearful i i mean yeah i don't think it's the not interested i do think more are just not willing to do it because it is so many people involved which is a shame because if we had more people talking about it, obviously you'd have more awareness about it. Yeah. yeah. Awareness is the key. It's, it's, that's, I think from day one, when I got involved with this, that's what I recognize. There is no awareness. Yeah. If someone, even if somebody with a platform would just stand up, someone with a voice, I mean, someone with, you know, a million followers, like these mm -hmm. celebrities, like why can't a celebrity stand up and, and say, gosh, this is a great cause. I want to get behind it instead of dancing naked on a stage. You know, I, I was just going to say, like, we can see videos of people at a football game dancing and like you get a million people to comment on what she was wearing right. or her haircut. Exactly. Oh, so, so aggravating. That's annoying. So. Very annoying. All right. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. We appreciate you. you. You're always welcome back. Uh, great yeah, perspective, and I think a lot of people are going to see it from a different angle tonight just because yeah. of uh, what you articulated so well. We appreciate you so much in standing up for the Hernandez family. Uh, ladies, another great show. Thank you both. Uh, guys, if there's anybody out there you need, you have an issue with CPS or with uh, Family Court, you can reach out to the ladies. You can reach them at, uh, Sylvia, I always forget, is it rescuethefoster at gmail.com? Not an S, right? And no, well, it's help at rescue the fosters. Oh, yeah, help. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And then Danielle's is Danielle, rescue the fosters, gmail.com. Uh, and then Energy, I see in the chat, um, he reached out, or he or she, I'm not sure, uh, reached out to me in the DM today. So, ladies, you can expect an email from Energy. Mm -hmm. um, Jennifer, um, 
is there any social network, social uh, platforms you're on Facebook or anything that you want to promote or you're pretty private? Um, yeah, for me personally, but I would, I'd like to shout okay. out again for parents behind the pinwheels. You know, they talk about this a lot. You are the power has been amazing. Um, and just spreading that awareness that you talked about earlier, but me, myself, no, gotcha. no, I barely, I just I got like TikTok <laughs> and I don't know what I'm doing on there because I'm trying to follow people sharing this and I feel like super old on there. So no, um, but follow the other people who know what they're doing. <laughs> I'm on, actually, I will make uh, I haven't made any TikToks lately. I was doing really good at that. I was making every show a little clip. So maybe I'll make one and I'll send it to you and, you can and I'll try not to, I'll try clear. to understand it. It's I'm like, pretty easy. TikTok's what is going easy. on? <laughs> if I could do it, I'm sure you could do it. <laughs> I'm technically challenged for sure. Well, anyway, have a great night, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for all the, the cans tonight. My gosh, you guys were donating like crazy. We appreciate that. Thank you so much uh, over here in the foxhole. Thank you all, the, all of you over there on Rumble. Bunch of lurkers right now. We appreciate you guys. I will be back Saturday night, 11 p.m. with Megan Walsh. Reexamined with Megan Walsh. We'll be going over the Adam Walsh case. More deep dives and information that will hopefully persuade you to believe that John Walsh is not the guy he told you he was. <laughs> so we'll hopefully see you Saturday night. Also, the return of the blender with my good friend Michael down there in Texas. That's 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time right there in Rumble and also on Foxhole Sunday evening. Everybody have a blessed night. Take care, and we will see you next time. Thank you.